Everybody glad you're here. I thank God for you. Oh my gosh, the favorite moment of my week every week is getting to come around and greet you personally, trying to greet as many people as I can in the room. I know I didn't get to all of you. I'll try to start with your section next week, but I'm old, I forget, and so I could be lying. Um, but man, this, you know, your handshakes, your hugs, the prayers we share together, it's a part of what makes Central a very special and unique church, and I, I love you. Those that are joining us online, we thank God for you guys. We're glad you're with us, and it will be awesome when you're here with us in person. Um, you know what else would uh, be awesome? Every week, if you don't know this about us, every Wednesday, uh, we feed hungry people. They come here, and we give them uh, groceries to carry them through the week. And as you can imagine, with the prices uh, skyrocketing because of inflation, uh, People in need are now in desperate need. So next week, uh, I'll bring, when I buy groceries, I'll buy an extra bag uh, and bring it right up on here on stage. You bring an extra bag of groceries and we'll make sure that we continue to feed the hungry of our immediate area. Uh, that would be awesome. But you know what else would be awesome? I thought it would be awesome if my Debbie and I did a gender reveal moment this morning, right now in this room with you. Have you been to gender reveal parties? Anybody been to a gender reveal party? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, some of you. The rest of you ought to get out more. Um, but no, here's what happens. <laughs> okay, here's what happens. A young couple, um, I mean, they're all super excited. She's about 20 weeks pregnant and an ultrasound or a, something that they do to you to find out, what is it? Not ultrasound. Yeah, that sounded weird. Uh, okay. They do this test and they find out the gender of your coming baby. And then couples, they just throw a bash and invite friends and family. And then they do this crazy stuff to reveal the gender. Or maybe some of you, how many of you have made videos of your gender reveal moment and posted it on Facebook? Anybody? Okay. Well, I just thought it would be great for Deb and I to do that today. I can just see the newspaper headlines. 70-year-old couple announces pregnancy with gender reveal moment at church. <laughs> now, <laughs> I admit that would be weird and maybe a little creepy. Um, but you know, there have been some wild, absolutely wild gender reveal moments in history. I mean, the greatest gender reveal moment was not 20 weeks into a pregnancy. It was 700 years before the birth. It was announced by a prophet of God. Here it is, book of Isaiah, where the prophet of God says, for a child, capital C, capital C child. This is God come to earth through human birth. They will name him Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. For a child has been born for us. Say for us. Jesus came for Christmas is for us. He lived, battled his way through every temptation. It was ferocious. It was tenacious, but he did it for us until he had lived a sinless life, knew no sin, did no sin for us, and then willingly laid his sinless life down on a cross for us, died for us, and rose from the dead for us. For a child has been born for us, the gift of a son. There's the gender reveal. Yeah, baby. I've been waiting all week to do that. <laughs> oh, you're so good. Okay, the gift 
the gift of a son. But we're going to see that more than the gender of this Jesus baby, this newborn, God in newborn flesh, more than gender, watch, for the gift of a son for us, he will be ruler, large and in charge. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Notice four attributes, four titles of Jesus, like there are four directions, north, south, east, and west. Four, because this is all-encompassing of who he is and what he will do and who he longs to be personally for you. So, when you leave today, we have Christmas gifts for you from our church, a, a beautifully illustrated um, The Promised One book. Every weekend, you'll come in here teaching on one of these titles of Jesus, and then every day, you'll read scripture and do some devotional study every day on that attribute. And this week, it's Jesus Mighty God. I'm all about Jesus, mighty God today, and you'll read all about him when you grab one of these. They're free. It's our gift to you. We want to see Jesus strongly alive in your heart. Now, when Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Christ, when he called Jesus mighty God, he used two Hebrew words, El, that's God's name, El and Gabon. Mighty God. If I could give them a more contemporary, modern meaning, it would be El Gabon, not mighty God, but the ultimate champion. That's Jesus. He's the ultimate champion who always wins and never loses, unlike the Packers and the Bears. <laughs> Jesus always wins, but Jesus in his winning, I mean, some of you are going to watch that game this afternoon, and if you're a Packer fan and the Packers win, You'll say, hey, we won. You'll post it on Facebook. We won, but you didn't win. The players win. You just sat there and ate popcorn. Or if you're a bear fan and the bears win, thank you, Jesus. You'll say, we won, but you didn't win. You watched. They didn't play for you. But Jesus battles for you. Jesus is relationally driven. So if you have a real relationship with Jesus, he is battling for you right now on multiple fronts. He's willing to win victories for you in every area of your life that you have surrendered to his purpose. If you have your marriage surrendered to his purpose, he will win victories in your marriage. If you have your finances surrendered to his purpose, he will win victories in your finances. Anything that I say, any area of your life that is, that is surrendered to Jesus, to his purpose, he'll win victories in all those areas for you. Now, the opposite is also true. Wherever, wherever an area of your life is outside his purpose, you miss out on him winning for you wherever we're outside his purpose. In any area of our life, we would miss out on Jesus winning for us, the mighty God winning for, he is willing for you. He is willing for you to win battles on multiple fronts, every front of your life, to your good. Now, when I say Jesus, the mighty God, what comes immediately to mind? Maybe you think of 
those mind-blowing miracles. Jesus as mighty God walking on water. Jesus as mighty God turning water into wine. Jesus as mighty God healing the sick and raising the dead. Jesus as mighty God giving sight to the blind, healing the deaf, making the lame to walk. Jesus as mighty God. But you know something about miracles? That would be a good case for Jesus as mighty God. But miracles are just one and done. I mean, remember all those people for whom Jesus did miracles? Where were they? At his crucifixion. Where were they? At his resurrection. Where were all those people when the church was born? Because there were just 120. A miracle is just a one and done. Maybe you would say, well, you know, maybe it was his mind-blowing teaching. You see, his teaching has endured for 2,000 years and more, and it's still changing lives. You're here today. You've changed your schedule. You have maneuvered and orchestrated in your life to be here because of the teaching of Jesus. He taught. His teaching was amazing. He taught with absolute authority. He, what he taught was the truth. And it's still changing lives. In fact, last words he spoke before he left this planet, he did not say, go and heal everybody you can. He did not say, do a miracle every time you turn around. He said, what I've taught you, you teach to others. But a case could be made for Jesus as mighty God by the way he taught. What I want to do this morning is take you into a massive mighty God moment with Jesus He's about 12 hours away from being spiked to a criminal's cross and he knows it's coming. He knows that his face, his beard will be pulled out by the roots. He knows that his face will be beaten beyond recognition. He knows that they will club him again and again and again. That, that his back will be whipped until his spine is exposed. And then you know the end of the story leading up to his death that he would be impaled, that he would be pierced his wrists and ankles to a cross where he would dangle in excruciating agony until he died. He, he, he knows it's coming. He knows he will be risen from the dead. But between his resurrection and this moment, he's getting ready. He's getting his friends ready. He's having a very final, meaningful meal with 11 of his closest friends. They don't know what's coming. It's not even on their radar that he's going to suffer such savage brutality. And for sure, they have no idea that he will be raised from the dead, but he's getting them ready. So I'm going to take us into the room. It's not a big, well-lighted room like this. It's a small, intimate moment uh, lit by candlelight. I mean, the candlelight is beautiful. And as we enter the room, we are, we are struck by the warmth, the glow, the beauty of those gathered around the table, the food that's on the table, the candlelight, the shadows streaking up the walls. And as we breathe, we just inhale the rich aroma of roasted lamb and freshly baked bread. As we enter the room, quiet conversations hush. It's like everybody around the table has a sense that something super significant is going to come from Jesus. And so all eyes are intently fixed on him. As the Bible says, 
Then the master, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken. Um, yesterday I was come to church in my truck and I said, Lord Jesus, when your body was torn in half on the cross, it cut a permanent covenant, a peace, a promise of peace between me and my God. He says, he blessed the bread and he broke it. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this, eat this to remember me. What? Do you think any of these men, they've been with Jesus 24-7 for three years. Three years they've been with him. They've seen all the miracles. They had front row seats for all the teaching. You think they would ever forget three years with Jesus? Do you think there would come a time somehow in the future when they would like scratch their heads and say, now who would that Jesus who? Why does Jesus say, remember me? It's a command. He's telling them, you better remember me. This will help you remember me. Remember me. But he's not done. Look, the text goes on after supper. He did the same with the cup, a cup of wine, and said, this cup is my blood, my new commitment to you. What's his commitment? To forgive your sins. Not because there's anything good in me or good in you, but because he's so good. I commit that whatever you do wrong, say wrong, think wrong, by my poured out blood, it is fully and freely forgiven. My new commitment to do, each time you drink this cup, remember me. It's like a, a two-barreled command, a one-two punch command. Remember me. Remember me. Why? I mean, think about this. Let's say that you were allowed the honor and the privilege of spending one entire day with Jesus. One day. You get one day with Jesus personally present. I mean, you go to the breakfast table and there is Jesus. And you have breakfast with Jesus. And then you go through your whole morning. Whatever you do, Jesus is right there doing it with you, talking to you, sharing with you, touching your shoulder, putting his arm around you. You have lunch with Jesus. Afternoon, maybe you go for a walk with Jesus. Supper with Jesus. You don't want the evening to end because you just can't get enough of Jesus. If you spent one day with Jesus, do you think you'd ever forget it? These men had spent over a thousand days with Jesus. And he's telling them, remember me, remember me. Uh, you see, Jesus, the mighty God, is commanding that we remember. Not just those guys back there in that room, but we, that you and I, that we, rem what are we to remember? Well, he's already shown us, my body will be broken, my blood will be shed, Remember my suffering because it's for you. You see, if you don't know this, Jesus on the cross was taking your place. It's the punishment you deserve for your sin. 
He was my substitute. On the cross, he was getting all the consequence of everything I've ever thought, said, or done wrong. He was paying the price for us. Remember. Why? Because when you stop remembering in a relationship, maybe it's in your marriage, you stop remembering your love, you just start going through the motions and you know what happens? You begin to drift out of that marriage. You stop remembering your love for a friend and you start just going through friendship motions and you start to drift away from that friend. You stop remembering the work of Jesus on the cross and you just start going through the motions. You just show up and you drift and you drift and you drift. You know what? Maybe we should remember that the word remember is a big deal word in the Bible. It appears over 350 times. In the opening pages of scripture, there it is, the word remember. When the Bible climaxes, book of Revelation, the closing pages of scripture, here's what the word of God says about remember. Jesus speaking to an audience like us, church people, his followers. He says, I'm holding this against you. I hold this against your account. I hold this against you. The love you had at first, man, it's gone. Remember that word. It doesn't mean to daydream. It means that when you call someone to mind, you take immediate action in their behalf. It's why we would pray, Lord, remember my marriage because we know then the Lord takes action, immediate action to the good of our marriage. Lord, remember our health. God takes action, immediate action to the good of our health. Lord, remember our finances and the Lord takes action to the good of our finance. Lord, remember means you call to mind and take immediate action to the good of the other person. Remember how far you have fallen out of love and return to me and change the way you think and act, do what you did at first. You did it, you thought of the love and you took action on it. That's what I want you to do again. It's one of the reasons here throughout the year, we do love offerings for people in need in our community, in our world, and at Christmas, Christmas is the biggest love offering ever, every year. This year it's in, in two weeks. And our love offering this year is offer children. There are hundreds of children in our church. Um, I mean, a normal-sized church in America is less than 200 people. We have more children than the normal-sized churches, just children from nursery up through seniors in high school. One of the last um, gatherings before Thanksgiving, there were, I think, 83 people at youth group. Every weekend here at Kids Works, well over 100 children In our community, there are thousands. In our church, hundreds. But in our community, you drive 10 miles in any direction from this church. And in that 10 miles live 90,000 people. 60,000 of them don't know Jesus. 60,000. How many of those are children? 10,000. 10,000 children whose parents aren't bringing them to church, who aren't talking to their kids. There are thousands we want to share with them the love of Christ. We want to help hungry children and hurting children and homeless children and the little boys in our orphanage in Haiti. Children 
We're all about children because Jesus was all about children. Our hearts are moved by what moved the heart of Christ. Here's why we give for children. They can't pay us back. There's nothing they could do to ever pay us back, just like there's nothing we can do to ever pay Jesus back. And we give for children because they need our help. They need our help now like never before in my lifetime, just like we need the Lord's help. And and so we remember the loving sacrifice of Jesus, and so we live lives in loving sacrifice. In fact, right now, I'd like for us to do together what Jesus did together with his friends. I'd like for you to take your communion elements And if you're here for the first time, I'm so sorry if you didn't get them as you came in. Um, But every week when you come back, they're right at the table at the entrances and just grab them. Um, I'd like for you to take the elements. I'll take a piece of this bread and just break the bread. Pull back the cellophane from the top, take out the bread and and break it uh, in your hands. His body broken for you. And let's take it together. And let me pray over you. Lord Jesus, when your body was torn in half on the cross, it cut a permanent promise of peace between us and God. You took the suffering we deserve for our sin. You are our substitute. We thank you and we praise you. And we accept the gift of your life for us. And in the same way Jesus took the cup, you just peel back, maybe break down that lip and peel back the aluminum off the top of the cup. And let's drink the blood of Christ together. And let me pray over you. Lord Jesus, when you were made our sin offering on the cross, you were literally made our sin. And we were literally made right with God. You established us in the righteousness of God. And by your shed blood, all our sins are forgiven. We remember, Lord. We remember your loving sacrifice. And we commit to live in loving sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've got problems with our memory. Some of us more than others. We forget things that we should remember. So Jesus commands, remember me, remember me. But we also, we also think on remember, we also remember things we should forget. And so Jesus, not only does he command us to remember, but he invites us to forget. Jesus, the mighty God, that's who's inviting you to forget. You see, we all have a past. You have your sin and I have mine. I have my gross stuff. You have your miserable mess for which we are each responsible. I mean, I was the one who lied to someone I loved. You were the one who betrayed someone who trusted you. It was my out of control anger. It was... It was your foolish pride. Why do we say, why do we call it foolish pride? Because our insecurity and our arrogance makes us do stupid stuff that hurts us and hurts others. But it was our sin. 
I did it. You did it. We did it. We all have a past. And even though God, through Jesus and his death on the cross and his victory of the grave, offers us forgiveness, it's like that stuff won't die in us. We go to bed at night and we lay there and we can't sleep and we close our eyes, but all we see is that sin we did. Maybe for you it was an, an addiction that, that, that did serious damage to your life and those you love, or, or, or maybe it was even as far back as when you were a teenager. Maybe it was from one of those early dating relationships or in the first year of your marriage. Maybe it was from a big old conflict at work or with a neighbor, but you did it. The, the, the hateful words came out of your mouth, the, the hurtful behavior. And it's like you carry, um, you, you carry that shame around like a, a burden. I, I mean, me, you, we all need the power and grace of Jesus to help us forget. It's like we go to church and we pray and read scripture, but man, we are just dogged by what we said, by what we did, by the sin. And uh, we, we still go to work, we still go to school, we, we still do our relationships, but man, we, we carry the burden of our guilt and shame and those past sins. Um, it's, a, it's a painful burden. And to tell you the truth, I got free of mine last night. And I want you to get free of yours. I want you to walk out of this place free of guilt and shame and past sin. And there's a process. We find it in the Bible. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Forget the past. Put it out of your mind. Stop thinking about it. Remember Jesus. Remember his work on the cross. Remember his victory over the grave. But forget the past. Forget your past. Me, forget my past. Forget the past. Look forward for, to what lies ahead. Your God is at work to your good. Look forward to what lies ahead. Strain. Now that verb is an athletic term. It's meant to describe someone, a sprinter in a race, straining forward their chest to break the the tape at the finish line and win the race. I've seen it happen. My daughter, uh, Lovia, is 24 now and married and a mom, but when she was a, a fresh, excuse me, a sophomore or junior in high school, uh, she was like a track star, most valuable player. And, uh, but there was one girl who was faster than her. She was a year older uh, than Lovia, bigger uh, than Lovia. But this year, which it was sophomore, junior year, now Lovia, is pressing that girl. In fact, they're having a race. I'm right at the finish line and they're coming at I me, mean, coming down the stretch, neck and neck, both girls just driving as hard as they can go. But when they get to that tape at the finish line, Lovia strains forward and she breaks it first. Oh my gosh, I lose my mind. I start jumping up and down and cheering. That's my daughter. I start turning around. I grab a teenage girl I don't even know. <laughs> my wife was like, you'll have to forgive him. His daughter just won a race. But you know what the girl said? I wish my dad cared. 
like that about me. You know something, your father in heaven, he is absolutely thrilled over you when you forget your sin as he has forgotten your sin. As you strip away the shame, as you rid yourself of the guilt, strain to receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven. Why? Boop, go to the next slide. I'm losing my momentum. Forget the past. Look forward to what lies ahead. Strain to receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven. Oh, the computer broke. Okay, I'll use this computer. Because of what Jesus has done for us, he died on the cross for your sin. It's finished. He rose from the dead incomparably great power at work for you. Scripture says that he takes your sin, hides them behind his back so he can't see them, not even on his radar. He takes my sin and he sweeps them away like you would sweep away the morning mist. Gone, 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 gone. He takes your sin and buries it in the deepest sea. As far as east is from west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us far as east is from west. There's an end to north. You'll get to the North Pole. There's an end to south. You'll get to the South Pole. There's no end to east. You just keep going. There's no end to west. You just keep going west. As far as east is from west, forever he has removed our transgressions from us. It's time to forget, to remember Jesus. Now, I don't want to just talk it. I want you to experience it like I did last night. Because I invited people uh, to come forward, and I did it at 8.15 and 9 o'clock, and I'll do it at this service. Um, you know, it starts at baptism, the forgiveness of sins. Scripture says, turn to God, change your life, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. For the forgiveness of your Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The apostle Paul said, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and be scrubbed clean. Your heart can be scrubbed clean. Your mind can be scrubbed clean. You can scour the guilt and shame out of your soul. But maybe you say, well, David, I've been baptized and, and my guilt still haunts me. I, I can... I can relate. So I'm going to ask you to do what I did last night, and I've done in each service up here on the stage, all across the stage, these woofers, there are um, sticky notepads and Sharpies. And twice now, I've written um, what has haunted me. I've written it on a sticky pad. And because it's my business, I folded, I just folded over um, with the sticky part on the outside. And then there are walls. You can already see the ones from the last services. People put these red sticky notes up there that just have their sin. And this week, our staff is gonna pray over these. Uh, we won't know who wrote what, um, but we know people need to get free. And so once again, I'm gonna write my stuff on here. I'm gonna invite you to the front. Now, if you'd stand with me, please. Uh, last night... Um, 
someone was baptized. And um, I want to invite you to be baptized. There will be a baptism in this service. So we're all ready. We're ready every week. Every time the doors open, we are ready to help someone experience the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and have their sins washed away. So um, I am going to write more of my junk on this, more of my sin on this, more of what I want free from. And I'm going to stick it on the wall. And then I'm going to come right down here. And if you, people are going to be streaming to the front because we all got stuff. We all got sin. We all want to be free. But you come right to me and I'll help you with your baptism. Our band's going to lead us. Our band's going to sing. And if you aren't coming to the front, please just be still in your place and pray because God is at work in this room. Let me pray over you now. A father, man, I am so grateful that you've given us, given me this moment because I, I want to be done with guilt. I want to be free of shame. I, I want to put my past finally and fully behind me. I want to just think, remember Jesus and his victory for me. So Lord, don't let anybody be afraid. Don't let anybody hesitate. You want to set them free, Lord. Just bring them to the front. Let them write their stuff down. Stick it on a wall and, be, and walk away free. Walk away free. Walk away free. And Lord, if there are those that you want to see baptized today, call them to yourself right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wire podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.